You're drowned by my perfect fire, my perfect life. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. I'm Father Peter Muzzin. And I am Scott Powell. And we are trying to come up with something to talk about at the very beginning of the podcast. No, we're not. Oh, at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was born. <laughs> that is the first time in the history of this show that, that has ever happened. Yeah, normally, normally we can, like, Scott has the gift of gab, and he just keeps talking. Uh, excuse me. He does not like. Excuse me, Father Peter. I don't, I don't even think that's know. That's true. Well, what I what I do know what is what do that, you know? Here we go. Is that it's um, gonna be good? <laughs> what do you got? Is that uh, we're we're we just scooted past the equinox, the autumnal oh, equinox. Is that tonight or last night? That was um, Monday. Oh, today's the first day of fall, though, right? I thought that was Monday. Isn't the equinox the first day of fall? I don't. I I thought today was. The, I don't know what's going on now. It's fall. <laughs> it's fall. One way or the other. It's you know. I'm looking at. I'm looking over at you as you're talking. And um, right before we did the podcast, um, every once in a while we re- review classic moments from the podcast and we listen to them. <laughs> every with now a, and then we <laughs> review. <laughs> and and uh. right beforehand. Uh, it sounds the exact same as as if we were talking when we like play the podcast back because we're sitting in the exact same environment and like I can't see your mouth so I keep on thinking that this is just a recording of, what, of, of yourself of myself I and you to talking be saying everything that I'm thinking yeah and all of a sudden I'm listening in recording speech That's and it's weird. just it's just totally it's like it's very meta yeah it's like your cell phone it's like your answering machine message which doesn't sound like you hello you've reached father dude i tried to get you to start this podcast over so that we didn't have to talk about that why can't we talk about that it's just a reference to last week everybody knows that your voice sounds weird on the recording that's true. happens to be thematic with what we're talking about it trying to relate everything bring things full circle that's what we do on this podcast do we do we stitch we it bring together. the circle together in case this is the first time it's, you've ever heard this podcast by the way yes I was the, about to start singing for the, stephanie the word on the hill what, we now, what is the do, word on the hill, Father Peter? That is our brand. Okay. I mean, I have been branded with that those words just right across my back. Like I got like a dude to like make it out of iron and. Is that the first thing you've it? had branded across your back? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. I put a sticker on Father Peter yesterday during a staff oh. lunch that said "fart," dude. And I and this is the thing is that I we're, was going to class. Oh, I was ten year old. <laughs> I sit in the front row in this in this Hollywood musical class, oh, man. and I would show up with "fart" on my back in my clericals. Like, what kind of? Like, I would have taken it off before you went. Uh, that's I, really things are. We have a if weird st- work environment here at St. Thomas Aquinas Catholic Center. <laughs> I started going, but dude, the best part is realizing with like. Dude, dude, behind me, he's like, dude, you got a scooter sticker on your back that says <laughs> fart. Who's that? Oh, in the class? Yeah. Adam. Oh, Ad- my goodness. A shout out to Adam Johnson, dude. Adam J. Um, oh, a shout out to um, uh, uh, Kayla Schick. I'm trying to remember how I say her last name. I'm I'm so bad. I I know everybody by their first name. Um, it's, it's like Schlick. Schlick? Schlick. No, it's not Schlick. It's Schick. S C H I C K. Okay. Good old Schick. good old Schick. Yeah, so she's awesome. She listens like you guys. She gave me a little shout out yesterday. Somebody in the class? No. Sorry. I lost Dude, the, you, I lost the train. That's right. I'm sorry. Well, since the train is derailed, why don't we get on some other tracks? Why don't we get the show on the road? It is the twenty sixth Sunday of ordinary time. Yeah. Anybody's feast day that we should know about today? Um Saint Lawrence Ruiz and Companions. Nice. Yeah. He's a stud. Yeah. I mean, I assume he is because he's in heaven, but I don't know anything about him. Do you? 
I know nothing. Okay, but, well, but this he, isn't he, a show about saints. It's about a show about the scriptures. You can always tell when they're a martyr, though, because they have companions that got, companions. all got jacked. I, yeah, man, I'm probably going to be an end companion. Yeah, if I if I barely make it to Santa, it's going to be Father Peter and companions. Dude, that'll be awesome. I'll take what I can get, man. I'll take an end companions. Dude, end companions. That, that's, I mean, that's pretty epic stuff. I'll take it. I'll take it. All right, 26th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Uh, our first reading it's coming from the book of Ezekiel. Was that, that Last week was Ezekiel as well, wasn't it? It was Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 25 through 28. Awesome. No, last week was Isaiah. Two weeks ago was Ezekiel. Oh, you're correct. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then our responsorial psalm is Psalm 25. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, the first strophe is four to five. Uh-huh. Second strophe is six to seven. Uh-huh. Third strophe is eight to nine. Nope. And the verse six, comes There's six, no eight. six or seven in here. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, dude. Wow. The USCCB website does not have six or seven listed. It's all right. We'll roll with it. We'll roll with it. That's how we go. And then 6A is uh, where we get the mercies, oh, Lord. Indeed, indeed. Which always messes me up. I'm just going to say this right now. Whenever they like retranslate the same thing, but in a different way for the the versicle... Yeah. Yes. <laughs> then continue. Then, uh, then it gives me brain freeze, man. Whenever I have I have an improperly translated versicle, you don't want an improperly translated versicle. No, brain freeze. You really don't. You don't want to get frozen by your versicle. <laughs> right. That's basically what you said. Yeah. Right, is it my turn? Um, the the second reading is coming from Philippians chapter two verses one through eleven. This is this whole week's readings are sort of a parallel version sort of a weird parallel version of two weeks ago mm. ezekiel's oh. back philippians is back almost the same passage as two weeks yeah. ago. yeah but with a little bit of add-on it's very interesting to me dude it, it got another floor okay one through eleven there, there's an option in the readings to just do chapter two verses one through five which you lose everything but so that is actually everything except uh what we had two weeks ago which was the canonic hymn the hymn of self-emptying Anyway, we'll talk about that later. And then we get into the uh, the gospel. Oh, gospel. The gospel. And uh, the gospel is Matthew 21, 28 to 32. That's right. That's right. Very good. Yeah, yeah. Well said. So it's the 21st chapter, um, and we dig it, man. Um, yeah. Well, with the intercession of St. Lawrence Ruiz and companions, we're going to try to not make a bungle of all of this. Okay. <coughs> Ezekiel. A bungle? Is that what you said? A bungle. A bungle? A bungle. Okay. I know that bungle is also one of those like weird, like kind of like lightly um, baked cone things. The what are you talking about? Those, who are you? Who, dude? Come on, this is obscure pop reference. Oh right, that is what we do. <laughs> oh no, those are bugles, not oh, bungles. Okay, thank you. That uh, okay. I see now what's going on. We did eat baked potato chips right before this, and I have to say, I'm a big fan of the baked potato chip. Because they're kind of like bugles, but flat. What do we have here? We have we have Ruffles oven-baked sour cream and cheddar. Dude. That's our a word from our sponsors. Thank you to our sponsors <laughs> know, today, Ruffles exactly potato chips. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let me get this show on the road. If somebody actually really wants to sponsor us, um, we will do a product placement for you. You can you can inquire. Mm, this Ruffles potato chips sure are salty. L- lanky guys at thomascenter.org and um, we accept very large donations. We, and, will, uh, we will plug. We have no shame. So we, we will plug whatever you give us. For, well, not whatever you give us. but we, I mean, well, that's the thing is that we, we do need money. 
Oh, right. And we have some parameters as to what we will talk. <laughs> yes. This mascara is making my face itch. <laughs> All right. Anyway, back to Ezekiel. Hawking <laughs> mascara on the radio. Only a face like Scott Powell can do it. I have a face for radio. Ah. Okay. So, Ezekiel. We talked about Ezekiel again two weeks ago. Just yeah. to kind of catch us up from where we are. We've A lot of this year we've been looking at Isaiah and Jeremiah, which essentially tell the story of the fall of Jerusalem, right? So the people of Israel who have been formed into a nation, they have a kingdom, they have been split in half by a brutal civil war, and now uh, the prophets are continually warning them throughout the Old Testament, unless they change their ways, unless they turn back to God, back to the covenant, turn away from idols and oppressing the poor and everything else, then they will they will lose their kingdom and they'll uh, they'll get punishment. And so Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah all tell the story of that punishment, of the fall of Jerusalem. But Ezekiel is really cool. <clears throat> excuse me, because it tells everything from a different perspective. So Ezekiel, Jeremiah and Isaiah tell the fall of, the, fall of Jerusalem in the temple from the perspective of Jerusalem. They watch it happen. Ezekiel is actually taken in one of the first waves of exiles that Babylon comes and, and takes into slavery. So he actually gets a vision of the whole fall of Jerusalem while he's up in Babylon. So in other words, Ezekiel has the spiritual perspective on the historical reality that's taking place. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it, that, that's the story of Ezekiel. But, um, yeah. <clears throat> yes. Well, I think it's important to point out in this moment, though, that the way, like, we can, uh, in our contemporary language and understanding, we can think of the way. Yeah. I, the way of the Lord is not fair, mm. is some sort of abstract sets of behaviors. Yes. It's actually the way is actually a road. It's like, and that's actually important to remember. And when we're talking about the exile, like that, there's a certain sense of travel. I mean, now it does go deeper, and it does have the abstract content connotations. But there's a certain concreteness to even to the understanding. The way of the Lord is not fair. Yeah, I guess that's true. When we're talking about exile, yeah, that's true because they have literally gone in exile. Oh man. And where does that word show up most prevalently in the New Testament? Gospel of Mark, the way of Calvary, right? The way of the cross which is, again, literally a road that's leading to a sort of exile, but that exile is going to bring new life. That's cool. Um, anyway, though, to, to put this passage in its context, so Ezekiel has this long series of, um, what do you call them, of visions, right, and all this stuff. The, the theme of chapter 18, this is really coming from the end of chapter 18, the theme of chapter 18 is a choice between life and death. And remember, Ezekiel is mainly giving his message to the exiles who are already in Jerusalem, right? Not the people who are, who are already in Babylon, right? Not the people who are back home. And so what God is doing through Ezekiel is giving them a choice between life and death. That That's kind of the theme of this chapter, which should remind us of what? What would that remind the Israelites of? Uh, choice of life and death. I'm going to get you, sucker. You can either go out the window or the door. That's right. Precisely right. What is no, that? Pulp Fiction? Uh, no, is that? I'm going to get you, sucker. Oh, it's <laughs> it's actually literally from I'm going to get you, sucker. You, you, no, um, isn't it? Um, it, it should be the, the Exodus today I said oh, before you're so you. Close. Yes. The, but where the, does that show up? Do you remember? It's uh, from it's the called, Exodus story. It's called the Torah. So the Torah is the book of five books. And in, right. in those five books, there's this one section that says, which, today what, which I said you Which section, though? It starts with the Life D. or death, Deuteronomy. Yes, Deuteronomy. The famous D-U-D-E. passage from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. So this is that great scene, though. Remember that scene though, where um, very good, do it around me. I got it. Where they're they're uh, they're about to come into the promised land, and they get on two different mountains, right? And you have the tribes split in half. One half are shouting out the blessings 
if they're if they're faithful to the law, the other side on the other mountain are shouting out the curses if they're unfaithful. Mm. And Israel has to pass in between with this choice: which one are you going to choose? Are you going to be faithful? That was in Deuteronomy. Uh, I think so. Gosh, I mean, I just don't. <laughs> Yeah, I can't. Well, I can't remember either. That, but like, that's I, not what this is specifically referencing. This is where Moses says, "I've set before you life and death." That sounds a little bit like life. what the, what they do in in Rush. I think that's Joshua. Yeah, that actually they just is. like that's shout at you and like you walk through the. No, that's where they get that. That's where they get that idea. <laughs> um, yeah. So so this whole chapter addresses this problem that the exiles are, are having, right? Okay. So here's the problem. Here's what's happening in chapter eighteen. There's this problem that the exiles in Babylon are facing, which is basically this idea of. Our fathers have sinned, and actually, actually, I just want to read it because it's cool. The way that chapter 18 begins is this, and I, not putting it in context, you lose everything here. I, I became more and more convinced this morning as I was reading this. If you lose the context of chapter 18, you lose everything about the readings this week. Wow. That was a really intense thing to say because a lot of people probably won't look at the context, so God can still bring good out of it. But but that's where the heart get, of it get ten, can, This is the beginning of the okay. podcast. Get contextualized. Okay. The word of the Lord came to me again. This is Ezekiel talking. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Right? So this is what the people in Israel, well, the Israelites in Babylon are saying. They're saying this idea that the children are now paying for the sins of their, fa- the, their fathers, their parents. It's the sort of fatalism, right? Yeah. So the, the idea is, okay, we're in exile because of what our, what our parents did. So we're, we're totally hosed because our parents were terrible sinners. They broke the covenant. So we're done for. And so what Ezekiel, what God is doing through Ezekiel is trying to shake them out of this idea and show them that they actually have their own choice and they have their own destiny, which brings in this idea from Deuteronomy. The choice comes down to, to a choice between life, which is righteousness, or death, which is wickedness. And um, it goes on. Sorry, I'm trying to catch myself up to my notes. I, I, I had so many thoughts on this this morning. Um, but... The interesting thing about this whole chapter is that it talks about generations, right? So the fathers have sinned, but who's reaping the fruit, right? Most of their fathers are actually dead, but they're still living in exile. They're still up in Babylon paying for all this sort of stuff. And so I actually just want to take some snippets from this chapter really quick. So here's this proverb. The fathers have eaten sour grapes. The children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, says the Lord God, this proverb shall no longer be used by you in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul that sins shall die. You're not, it's not fatalism. It's not just your, your destiny is set because of who your parents are or what they've done. Or, um, well, it, we, we were talking about that. I mean, even in the gospel the other day, like, were or, we? um, oh no, if, a, if somebody sins, you warn them. Otherwise, the oh, sin yeah, is yeah, going to yeah, come yeah. upon you. Like, right. There's something, there's a certain sense in this, like repeating this. It's like saying, no, we're not bound in the same way that you understand. Everybody really is yeah. individually and um, free. loved and, and, and cared for and um, experiential in, in front of me. And free. I think that's the biggest idea is that this, and again, I encourage you, go back, read chapter 18, because it's all about this fact. I think we suffer from this as a culture. I think this is particularly prevalent for us. So I'm, I'm teaching the focus crew. We're doing a little Bible study on Luke. And the way that Luke begins is that passage about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Remember Zechariah and Elizabeth, John the Baptist's parents? Yeah, of course. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're introduced in the Gospel of Luke by talking about how righteous and how upright and how free from sin. They follow the commandments. It says, but 
they were barren. They didn't have any children. And I think Luke goes out of his way to point out how holy they are because the understanding would be, okay, well, what did you do? What sin did you commit? What sin did your parents commit that you're now reaping the consequences of this? Barrenness was understood to be a fruit of sin. And Luke is actually going out of his way to show, no, that's not true. That's actually not the way it works. And I, I mean, I'm, how many how many of us, I mean, I, I don't know who you guys are out there. Probably some of you are parents. Maybe you have grown kids. Maybe you have kids who are outside of the church. Maybe you have children who have walked away from their faith. And the temptation is to say, okay, what did I do wrong as a parent? And maybe you did something wrong as a parent. Maybe the faith wasn't presented in the right way. I don't know. But there's also the possibility that Ezekiel puts out there that it's actually not your fault, that people's choices are their own, that a child can be incredibly faithful, even though they came from terribly wicked parents. And a child can fall away from the faith, even though their parents were perfectly upright and perfectly holy. It is up to that individual to choose. And we all, we're all conditioned. We Mm. all have circumstances. We've all got our stuff that we carry with us, right? Yeah. But there's also this idea that we are human beings who God loves, and he loves enough to give freedom of choice to. We have the option. We can choose life or death, no matter who our parents are, no matter what we've done, no matter what our circumstances are. Now, sometimes because of our circumstances, that choice is a little bit clouded and it's harder to see. But if we believe in a God who loves us, Ezekiel says, God is the one who holds these souls. He's the one who loves them. He doesn't want anybody to perish. So he is going to present that choice one way or another. And the thing that's really significant about this, so I was reading this and I came across this idea. Let me read you this. This is still in chapter 18, verse 5. He says, If a man is righteous and does what is lawful and right, if he does not eat upon the mountains or lift up his eye, eat upon the mountains is a, is a way of idolatry, eating and, and having a feast at the, the high altars of the, of the idols, right? Got it. Um, or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, does not defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman in her time of impurity. If he doesn't oppress anyone, but restores to the debtor his pledge, commits no robbery, gives the bread to the hungry, covers the naked with a garment. He does not lend an interest or take any increase, withholds his hand from iniquity, executes true justice between man and man, walks in my statutes and is careful to observe my ordinances. He is righteous and he shall surely live, says the Lord God. Now, Again, the whole chapter is about, you know, if you do what's right, if you're faithful to the Lord, you're good. If you don't, then you're hosed, right? <laughs> but here's the thing about this. Now, think about who's reading this. These are exiles. Um, they've been taken into slavery, which means they've lost everything. They don't have homes. They don't have money. I mean, they're, they're, they're impoverished, totally. And if you read carefully through this list of things that they're supposed to do, some of these things not everybody can do. Not everybody can execute justice and righteousness between two parties. Not everyone can lend and not do it at great interest. Not everyone has the power to not oppress someone underneath them. A lot of these things that they're being asked to do or not to do are things that seem to be reserved for a king, right? Someone who is wealthy, mm. someone of means, right? Oh. Do you catch that? I mean, no, someone I, totally I, you're showing me. I think it's there. And the idea is, what are they dealing with? I mean, why do you think it is that the people in Israel who are living in exile up in Babylon are saying, look, our fathers have sinned and now we're reaping the benefits? They're thinking of, I think in particular, their kings who have sinned. They had an unrighteous king who made bad alliances, didn't worship the one true God, wasn't a king in the image of God as he was supposed to be. And the idea is, what do they do about that? And what God is saying, there's hope, not just for you individually, but you as a nation, as a kingdom, as a people that I have formed, just because one king is wicked doesn't mean the next generation is lost. Just because the leaders of the people have fallen to great sin, just because 
you know, look at our day. Just because your priests and your bishops have done foolish things in the past doesn't mean the people of God are left out in the cold. Yeah. It's not fatalism. And I think it's very, it's, um, it's a crucial point. So that kind of brings us to what our reading says, which is the tail end of all of this, where he says, thus says the Lord, you say the Lord's way is not fair. Why is it not fair? Well, look, our kings were terrible. Our fathers were terrible. And now we're in exile. I mean, most of them are dead, but now we're sitting up here in Babylon. That's not fair. It's not fair that we should have to pay for the sins of those who came before. Yeah. You know, quite frankly, Father Peter, it's not fair that you, as a, what, 36-year-old priest? Seven. 37-year-old priest. I'm 37th have level to, cleric. Have to pay for the sins of older priests who did things in another generation. But you do, and I'm sure you get looks on the street. And I'm sure people associate you because of the sins of people who came before you. And you might be tempted to say, that's not fair. But we do have to reap the consequences of things that came before us. But that does not enslave us. That's not a fatalism, is what Ezekiel is trying to say. Yeah, you're in exile. Mm. But he says, hear now, house of Israel. It is my way. Uh, is it my way that's unfair? Or rather, are not your ways unfair? When someone virtuous turns away from virtue to commit iniquity and dies, it's because of the iniquity he committed that he must die. If he turns from wickedness, he is committed to, and does what is right and just, he shall preserve his life. Since he has turned away from the sins that he has committed, he shall surely live. He shall not die. Now, here's the key to all this, and I think this comes out later. Okay. Talk to me. He doesn't, it, what it does not say is because you're faithful to the Lord, this is the Joel Osteen megachurch theology, right? Because you're faithful to the Lord, because you do what is right, you're going to have a beautiful house and a wonderful, perfect marriage, and you're going to have these great kids who are polite in mass and never scream and you never have to take them out, and everything's going to be perfect in your life. That's not what it says. It says if you follow the ways of the Lord, you will have life. It doesn't say you're going to have a nice car. It doesn't say you're going to have a big, fancy house. It doesn't say everyone around you is going to love you. It simply says you will live. If you don't, you're going to die, both spiritually and probably physically too. That's the promise set before us, which I think is very easy to misread. So you can look at this situation and say, well, why are we in exile? What God's answer is. So the whole book of Ezekiel, sorry, I'm kind of going off in different directions. The whole book of Ezekiel begins with this great vision of this God's throne on wheels. Remember yeah, that whole thing at the beginning? Absolutely. And what's his point? We the talked point, about that. Yeah, did we? Yeah. The point of that is that God's presence, God's abiding love for us, God's fatherhood is not locked to a particular place. Just because you're in exile and you've lost Jerusalem and the temple and your really nice houses does not mean that God's not going to pack up and come with you and be with you and abide with you. That's the whole point of Ezekiel is that no matter where you are, no matter what your external circumstances, God is with you and he will give you life yeah. should you simply ask for it which is a hard message, I think, for these people to swallow. But I think it's so applicable to so many parts of our life. Does that make any sense? Yeah, man. It was a long diatribe, but... Yeah, it's it's awesome. It's actually, it's really important. And then the relation to the second two readings, I think, is huge. Oh, man. Well, so yeah, <clears throat> I mean, I... I as, I, as you're talking, I mean, it, 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 this line that comes to my mind, it says there, there's going to come a time when you will have no one who... Uh, you will not need to be taught by anyone about the Lord, for mm. he will teach you directly himself. Oh, yeah. And there's a certain sense in which that's kind of the fruitfulness and fullness of what we're expressing here in Ezekiel. And yeah. I am really excited. Dude, I'm loving what you're, you're giving, man. Good. Keep, keep it coming. All right. Let's let's respond in the psalm. Yeah, the psalm, I mean, I couldn't find any, any great historical piece to talk about the psalm, but I mean, it sort of speaks for itself. Remember your mercies, O Lord. So, you know, again, we... we 
find ourselves in these circumstances where, how did I get here? How am I going to get out? Am I alone? Why am I getting so beat up? Remember your mercies, Lord. You made some promises to me. I like, I like, I mean, I love that the scriptures, especially the Psalms, are constantly kind of calling God out on his promises, saying this is the way of the, the people of Israel in the Old Testament. Look, you promised us this stuff, Lord. You cannot forget this because you're God and I'm not. So don't forget this. You promised mercy. And I love this Psalm because it's saying, remember, Lord. I mean, that that's, that's spiritual confidence, I think. It's yes. not, it's, there's a fine line between confidence and and uh, pridefulness or big-headedness. But I mean, I think it's important when you're in times of trial, when we're facing stuff, to remind God, like, look, God, you said you love me. You said that you're going to care for me. So please show me that in, in, in trust that he will. But I like that, that the psalm reminds us of this. Oh, your ways, O Lord, make known to me. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you, my God, are my Savior. My ways, like last week's, was that last week? My ways are not your ways, right? Yeah. And my thoughts are so far above your thoughts. So the psalm answers it this week. Okay, well, teach them to me. If your thoughts are so far above my thoughts, then teach me your thoughts. If your ways are so far above my ways, then teach, teach them me your to ways. me. Yeah. I love that. And I love that as a response to last week's readings. And it's, I think it's applicable to, again, people who were living in slavery, wondering how they got there and wondering why they're reaping all the consequences from people who came before them. Or, I mean, this is actually one of the hard parts about the spiritual life, too, is that even reaping the own, our own consequences of sin is just really hard. I mean, so when we're, when we're listening to, like, Ezekiel, who's talking about this kind of, like, yeah. ultimately we will be alone before God. Yeah. And so it says, when we turn away from virtue and commit iniquity and die, it is because of the iniquity <laughs> that we must die. And that's why we're like, the response to that is, remember your mercies, Lord. Yeah. Like, please, like, like, not only for me collectively in the experience of what I, you, you know, where I come from, but also just like straight up, like, yeah. it's really hard to suffer for your own sins. Just, just be honest. It's not an easy thing. And so, some, some days, if you have a virtuous heart, it's easier to suffer for somebody else's sins than yes. it is for your own. Absolutely. Absolutely. So remember mm. your compassion because the Lord is upright and he guides the humble to justice. So he teaches the humble his way. Now, the sa- I, so I, here's my debate debate away i i'm tempted to do a little rearranging do it man do the gospel first and then talk about the second reading what do you you think man i'm i uh, actually had organized myself to do that no you did not yeah spontaneously seriously no you didn't and and i I actually i I intend uh, but then i had i was like oh yeah hold on but that one goes first so chronologically that's how it works Dude, I'm with you, man. All right, let's Listen jump to the gospel. Then we're gonna mix it up, everybody. We're gonna get a little bit crazy. Cray cray off road, and we're gonna go to the gospel because, and again, chronologically, the gospel does come next. Saint Paul comes after the gospel, so we'll take it. All right, um, what we just said, I think, is so stinking, stanking applicable to Matthew. Okay. Okay, hit me. So Matthew 21 verse 28. Now we're we're in this um, long line of these parables that Jesus has been giving. And just to kind of catch us up, let me let me open up to where we are in the Bible. We're in Matthew what twenty one verse twenty eight. So he just told a parable prior to this that it, we didn't get last week, right? What did we? What was last week? Um, last baptism week was, with John. I mean, last week I don't remember. Uh, last week I'm just was looking really quick because I don't. It doesn't. It's not. It doesn't follow. Oh yeah, last week was chapter twenty. There was another parable, um, but now we're in another one. So what this follows from is okay. There we are. Um, it follows from this, uh, it's not a parable, but it's, the scribes and the Pharisees who's been telling these parables around, 
they question his authority and they say, okay, who gives you the authority to say all this stuff and to do all this stuff that you're doing? And Jesus has this great reply. He says, okay, I shall ask you one question. If you will answer it for me, then I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. Okay, I'll test you. If you can answer it right, then I'll tell you where my authority comes from. He says, where was John's baptism from? Was it of heavenly or of human origin? And they discuss this among uh, themselves and they say, well, if we say it's heavenly, he'll say, then why didn't you believe in him? But if we say, well, it's just human, then we'll fear the crowd because they all thought John was a prophet. So they have this brilliant reply to Jesus and they say, we don't know. <laughs> and so Jesus said to them, well, neither will I tell you by whose authority I do this. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> That's the scene we've just come from, which I just, I love that scene. It's hilarious. Yeah, dude. It's, it really, it really it's, is one of my favorites. It's too. classic. It's classic. It's, cl- it's classic the Lord. So immediate, <laughs> classic Jesus. So immediately after saying that, Jesus says, here's our reading this week, to the chief priests and the elders of the people, what is your opinion? A man had two sons. He came to the first and said, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. And he said in reply, I will not. Now, what is the vineyard always a, um, a reference to in the scriptures? Oh, Old Testament wise, I mean, it, it's well, it's the world, but I mean, it's it's actually Israel. It's like the chosen yeah. people of God. It's yeah. it, it's that's like I wow, I, I keep on hitting the microphone today. Yeah, I'm sorry, I got all like I'm getting animated. So yeah, yeah, it's the world in a certain sense. Really, it's usually more narrowly Israel, right? Yeah. So work in my kingdom. That that is by analogy, right? Yeah. So there's two sons. He says to this first one, "Hey, go and work in the vineyard today." The son said, "I will not." But afterwards, he changed his mind. He was like, oh, man, I shouldn't have said that. Okay, so he goes out and he doesn't. Okay, The man came to the other son and he gave the same order. And he said in reply, yes, sir. Um, the translation in the RSV says, yes, Lord. I don't know why the NAB chooses sir. Anyway, yes, Lord, yes, sir. But he did not go. So which of the two did the father's will? And even the scribes and Pharisees, even the, the hypocrites are, are smart enough to say, well, okay, the first one obviously was the one in the right, right? So everyone's like, okay, where are you going with this? We get it. And Jesus said, and so they're prepared for that. What they're not prepared for is what Jesus says next. Jesus said to them, amen, I say to you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom before you guys, which is a pretty powerful statement. When John came to you in the way of righteousness, this goes back to his previous question. You did not believe him, but tax collectors and prostitutes did. Yet even when you saw that, you did not later change your minds and believe him. So this parable is about them. Um, Okay, how do I say this? I've, I've, this is all packed into my head, and I want to get it out right. Well, I mean, parables, you always have to remember about judgments. I mean, like, it, it, but he, like, lays it out in a pretty clear way. Normally, like, he doesn't give interpretation straight up the bat like this. He usually does not. Now, here's, on, on its simplest level, how is it that prostitutes and tax collectors can enter into the kingdom before the religious leaders of the people? Well, because they are willing to work. Because they chose to work. Yes. Remember the first reading, though? There was two options. In, the, in chapter life. 18 of Ezekiel, you have life and you have death. Which one are you going to choose? What they did chose, they choose? They, they chose, chose life. life. Despite the fact that their fathers in faith, those greater than them, their kings, so to speak, chose death. See, what the first reading, I think, is setting you up Ooh, for yeah. is that just because the leaders of the people of Israel, the religious leaders, sometimes the priests, the Pharisees, the scribes, the self-proclaimed leaders, even though they've chose de- chosen death, mm. that doesn't take away the freedom of even the lowliest, even the worst sinners 
to say, no, I know that's not right. I'm going to choose the opposite. I'm going to choose life. There is no fatalism into Jesus's hierarchy, right? Just because there's a priest who's wronged you in your youth, you know, or, or someone who taught you the faith badly, or you were driven away, or you had a parent who did whatever, None of that can take away our freedom as Christians, as followers of Jesus, to choose life and actually receive the life that we've chosen. Yes. There's no fatalism in our faith, faith, even though we think that there is. Now, it's probably a little bit harder for these tax collectors and these prostitutes to hear that message because their supposed leaders are telling them to do the opposite. But they're able, they have this great grace of being able to sift and filter through the voices that are telling them the wrong things in order to hear the voice of the true God, yeah, which I just find interesting. But I think the relation between the two readings is huge. Yeah, Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It, it makes crystal clear sense. And and it's actually just really in, in, important. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so that's my two cents on that. Thoughts? The... Um the beauty of being able to actually repent, because I mean, this is the mm. thing: is is it is to to rethink, to like, the like to say, hold on, you know what? I I have like chosen to think that responsibility, the avoidance of responsibility, is actually the satisfaction of my soul, versus the uh, fulfillment of responsibility satisfying my soul. Like it's being able to say, no, you know yeah. what? I'm gonna I'm gonna flip it around and do it. I mean, like just the the real core message. Uh, yeah. uh, the the the, cl- the clear moral reading of this vision, yes. um, but applied to this notion of saying like no, like I really am not, I'm not bound by what others are doing is really beautiful yeah. and it's really revolutionary. Absolutely, it totally is. Which leads us into actually the, the this great experience of what Paul is talking about in the Philippians. Yes, because of. Um, because this the canonic hymn, like okay, now now that we have that demonstration, that example, now let's actually enter into two. What how how do we see this with Jesus? What is it actually working? Look the key, like? the thing that's interesting about um, the reading, and, and again, we talked about the canonic hymn, this hymn of self emptying, two weeks ago. But the key to it, oh, I just picked up something gross. What was it? I don't know. It's something on your table. Gross, Father Peter. Dude, Ty left, and we and we have ended up in gross land. I think it's the melted chocolate that I left here two weeks ago. Ah, <laughs> okay. Um, but here's the thing: the let's see, the canonicum. So Jesus Christ, even though he wasn't in the, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. That whole thing, which we get this week. Yes. What we don't realize necessarily is that's actually an answer to a question. Oh. That's my contention. I will contend that that's not just, I mean, Paul's not just throwing out this neat theology. Hey, guess what? I figured out Jesus Christ. Let me explain it to you. He's a pastor, right? He's writing to a church that's dealing with particular things. And that canonic hymn, that great hymn of Jesus' self-emptying, is an answer to an implied question. So what's the question? Well, here it is. And this is why I think it's so neat that the church has given us the same reading we had two weeks ago, but expanded it and actually given us the context for it. So here's what he says first. This is chapter 2, verse 1, Philippians. Brothers and sisters, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any solace and love, any participation in the Spirit, any compassion and mercy, then complete my joy that by being— Now, remember, where is Paul when he says this? In prison. He's in prison. Remember, we talked about this last week, I think. Yeah. Um, Philippians is known as the letter of joy because Paul uses the word joy or rejoicing more times than any of his other letters, despite the fact that he's in prison. And I, I think it was two weeks ago, again, where he says that whole thing about, you know, if they kill me, or was it last week? 
I forget, but he says, you know, if they kill me, then I get to be with Jesus Christ face to face. If yeah, yeah. they let me live, then I get to go on preaching. It's yeah, a lo- it's a win win for me. Yeah, There's yeah. nothing they can do. I get to go. I get to like, and that's great advantage to you. The otherwise great advantage to me. Exactly. Both both are good. But what Paul is saying is, it's easy for me to choose life because I recognize that the option for death, I recognize that the other choice is meaningless to me. It actually doesn't. It, it's the same question of the first reading: Are you going to choose life or death? You can choose to be depressed and sorrowful and despairing because I'm in prison and I'm not getting to do my work and they might kill me and everything is terrible. You can choose despair, which brings death. Or you can do what Paul does, which is choose life. He says, you know what? There's no bad options here for me because if they let me live, great. If they kill me, great. So that all being said, he says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any solace and love, any participation in the spirit, compassion and mercy, then complete my joy, the joy that I have because I'm in prison and there's nothing they can do to take that away. Complete that joy By being of the same mind, with the same love, united in heart, thinking one thing. Do nothing out of selfishness or vainglory. Rather, humbly regard others as more important than yourselves, each looking out for not his own interests, but for those of others. Now, remember at the beginning of last week's reading, I think it was last week. Anyway, the beginning of whatever reading Everything's last week's reading. Everything's last week's reading. Remember, we talked about how he says, citizen yourself in a manner of life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's two weeks ago, but yes. Was that two weeks ago? Yeah. He says, citizen yourself. We talked about, it says, uh, live lives worthy or something. But the, the Greek says, become citizens. And so the question is, well, how do you citizen yourself in a manner of life worthy of the gospel? Here's his answer. He says, don't do anything out of selfishness or vainglory, but regard other people as more important than yourself. That's how you do that. So how is it that you live in a community of faith? How do we live in a parish? How do we live in a family? How do we do any of these things? Because... Quite frankly, you know, we, we call the devil diabolical, right? The word diabolos, which is the name of a Lamborghini. But diabolos, do you remember what diabolos means, literally? It's a verb. Uh, stumbling block or something? No. Wall? It's to divide. Divide. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so what is the devil? Because dia. Yeah, yeah exactly. So what does Satan want to do? He wants to drive a wedge, right, between... I don't know, the students at St. Thomas Aquinas and us. He wants to drive a wedge between you and Father Brady, between me and Matt, between you and the Archbishop, right? He wants to drive wedges. What's the antidote for that? Well, Paul says the antidote for that is actually counting others as more than yourselves. How do you do that? Oh my gosh, what does that even look like? That's a big, tall order. So he says, well, think of it this way. Have the same attitude that is in Jesus Christ, who was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped at or exploited, but rather he emptied himself. He took the form of a slave, coming in human likeness, found in human appearance. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, which would be treasonous to the audience that's listening to him. But because of that, God super exalted him, is what the Greek says, and bestowed on him the name that's of every, every, every other name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bend in those of heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How is it that Jesus could choose life and not death? Because he counted others as better than himself. How is it that these tax collectors and these prostitutes and even the disciples who are listening to Jesus should choose life? by quite frankly regarding the tax collectors and the sinners and even the Pharisees and the scribes as better than themselves. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about that weird line that Jesus had, you know, if somebody sins against you, go talk to them in private. Then if they don't listen, take a couple of witnesses. If they don't listen to that, take them to the church. If they don't listen to that, treat them as a tax collector or a sinner. How do you do that? Well, you actually go out to them the way that Jesus does. You count them as better than yourselves. Mm. You hold them in high esteem and you empty yourself out for their behalf. 
That's how you do all this. I mean, this is this is the answer. How do you live in slavery? How do you live in exile away from your home and actually still choose life? Well, you empty yourself. I don't know what that looks like on a day-to-day basis. I don't know, you know, what, what Paul later on will say in Philippians is... Um, Oh, actually, you do. You're a dad. This is the thing. It's that you do know what it looks like to. to well, I don't know what it looks like for each person individually. It looks different for everybody. I guess that that's what I mean. I know okay. what it looks like for me in some ways, and I know the way I fail at it. Yeah. But but here, there's one thing I want to say though. Um, he says at the end of Philippians, this is in chapter three. He says, "Brethren, this is chapter three, verse seventeen. Paul." He says, brethren, join in imitating me and mark those who so live as you have an example in us. For many of whom I have often been told, I have often told you and now even tell you with tears, live as enemies of the cross of Christ. These are the people who choose death. How do you become an enemy of the cross of Christ? That's the question. He said, there are a lot of people out there who are enemies of the cross of Christ. How do you become an enemy of the cross? Is it by spitting on a crucifix? No, that's not how you become an enemy. He says, though that does work. Yeah, that works, but it's simpler than that. He says, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. How do you become an enemy of the cross of Christ? You make your God your belly. Yeah. Right? You don't pour yourself out. You don't count others as higher than yourselves. You look for, you know, cushier cushions, as, as a friend of mine used to say, or warmer seat heaters in your car, or, you know, whatever it is. We want nicer houses, cushier cushions. Nicer things. We want to supply our belly with things. That's how you run down the slippery slope of becoming an enemy of the cross of Christ. That's how the Pharisees and the scribes got in the predicament that they were in, because they were comfortable. Now, they were comfortable in what originally I think were virtuous things, but those things became their gods. Those laws that they'd put around the Old Testament became like gods to them. How do you get rid of that? You die to yourself. You pour yourself out for Mm. one another. And the question is not, I think— how do you do that? Or what do you have to give up or pour out in order to pull this off? I think the bigger question, again, a teacher of mine once said this, to ask yourself, have I, what are the things in my life that I've had the honor of counting as refuse, of giving up, of pouring out for the sake of Jesus Christ? And if the answer to that question is nothing, I've actually not given up anything. I've not poured anything out. Then I think we're in a very bad position. And mm. we run the risk of becoming enemies of the cross of Christ yeah. if we've given nothing. Does that make any sense? I don't know. I'm not trying to be preachy. No, no, man. It, but it's a good But this one. was all tying in my head this morning. I don't know if it's coming out correctly. It is. Dude, I'm I'm moved. I I wanna like fast. But they were also <laughs> I know. But they were also are they tie together so interestingly though. Yeah. They are this common thread. I mean, they're all a common thread, but but, no, no, but, it's a but, fascinating tie. But but these together, no man. I think you've made it explicit and clear, and and uh, and I think the people listening are going to grasp it because I like I've been wanting to interject, but I don't need to, man, because <laughs> you got it. Sorry, do you don't have to apologize to me? Dude. All right, I love it. Just like keep it flowing like that, man. I will I will be rejoicing that every time. Woo, woo. Well, well guess it, what? Oh, what? I was just going to say that's it. I was going to say we have a Pinterest account now. <laughs> Did you see that? So you can pin us on Pinterest. Yeah. I started getting all the email notifications of the groups that I should follow. And I was like, what is this? Why am I getting all these? Yeah, you texted me. Do we have a Pinterest account now? Because I was like walking Well, then along. I looked at the things they suggested. And it's like motorcycles and metal smithing and stuff. I was like, okay. I know, <laughs> oh, yeah. I know who did that. Because <laughs> well, you like have to select things that you're interested in when you get on Pinterest. Yeah, and I was, like, I was like, man, this is weird, dude. I don't even know how to work this Pinterest stuff.
Yeah, I haven't looked at it yet. <laughs> um, at the beginning of the podcast, I asked for prayers because we were recording. And someone wrote back, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in Babel. That's his prayer for us. Oh, uh, Take that. <laughs> Excuse uh, me. That was awesome. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Joseph P. Joseph P. Cebula, uh, or Kebula, would also like a shout-out. All right. So here's to you, Joseph. Dude, may we not babble? Anymore. Babylon. Isn't that like Zeppelin or something? I don't know. Um, I don't want to be from Babylon. They babble on and on and on and on and on. I just want to be a sheep, bah. You don't know that one? I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to be a Pharisee. No. Because they're not fair, you see. I just want to be a sheep, bah. Somebody sent me like a 20. That was awesome. Whatever. Dude. Somebody sent me like 25, like face palming, um, like <laughs> like jokes about scripture. She sent it to both of us, Father. It's not all about you. You're right. It's actually more about you than it is about no, me. No, you're counting out others is higher than yourself. I get it. Good one. That's why I let you just keep talking Thanks, today. Because if I was, oh, gonna, come if on, I interrupted you, if I interrupted you, but this is the thing: is you and I together on, on the same page. Living out, baby. I'm just living out to do living the truth. Out the so, gospel. So pin us on Pinterest. Yeah, really, find real. us on Facebook. Tweet us on Twitter. All of those things you can actually do. Yeah, send the, us an email <laughs> by email. You can send us snail mail by snails. By snails. <laughs> dude, I want to find a snail and put a letter on it. Maybe we get lost. No, Hopelessly dude. lost. I mean, but come on. What if you're walking along one day and you find a snail with a letter on it? You'd be like, holy crap, this is snail mail for real. That just gave me some ideas. Okay, sweet. Your birthday. Well, your birthday is <laughs> not. Anyway. Okay. All right, everybody. We will be back next week. We love you. You're the best. Keep it real. Keep it real. Goodbye. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.